Hello, and welcome to Ask a Navigate, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series. I'm Ashley, your host, and on this show, we talk about aging and family caregiving with United Church Homes' Navigate team. Our Navigates have decades of experience in helping families work through tough issues so that what we share on this show will be helpful to our listeners so that they can age abundantly. Today, we have Jennifer with us who will help us understand mental health, substance, and domestic abuse. Please remember the opinions shared in this podcast are not meant to convey or take the place of clinical, legal, or other professional advice. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. So, Jennifer, we know that you're a Navigate with United Church Homes, but you have a specialty in helping individuals with mental health issues. Could you explain a little bit about your background in that area? I have experience working as a mental health specialist for five years. In my role, I was responsible for conducting home visits, developing case management plans, and just helping the, uh, the client with whatever they needed. So that's pretty much the background on that. Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. So can you tell us a little bit about what support systems are in place for those suffering from mental illness? Absolutely. Every community or every state has their own mental program. In Mississippi, we have Life Health. It can be covered through private pay or through Medicaid, or you can pay out of pocket. So if you're searching the internet for resources, you can start with state-funded program for mental health, and they should provide you with a list mm-hmm. of mental health providers in your area. In Mississippi, you can get assigned a therapist from Life Help. Also, they have medication clinics in which they prescribe psychotropic medication to help with some of the signs and symptoms of mental health. In Mississippi, you can get assigned a therapist through Life Help, and they have what you call medication clinics in which they prescribe psychotropic medication that can help with the chemical imbalance that causes the mental health disease or disorder. Gotcha. So what sort of solutions have you seen out there once you identify that you have an illness and you need help, what, what other solutions are there in addition to some of those that you just provided? Well, first of all, you can realize that something may not be going accordingly. You would need an initial assessment, to, a mental assessment to determine what your experience is because it's a lot of different disorders like bipolar, schizophrenia. You have to first be di- clinically diagnosed to determine what illness that you have. That would be the first step. Mm. And after that, they will make you a diagnosis. And at that point, if you need medication, therapy, or whatever you need, your therapist will be responsible for supplying you with that. So if someone finds themselves like in the hospital, do hospitals or health systems do a lot of referrals like this too? Absolutely. You have some hospitals that have a whole unit designed for, it's called a psychiatric unit. And it's for people that are maybe experiencing a mental crisis. In hospitals, they have referral sources as well. Typically, the social worker is the one that handles that to make the referral. I know that helping folks that are victims of domestic abuse is really a passion of yours. But you seem to really have a drive and to support people that experience all types of abuse. So where does that come from for you? Um, I guess upon graduating. My first, before I even graduated, I received a job working at a shelter and mm. 
short-staffed it. I did multiple roles. I was a children's case manager. I was a victim's advocate. And then I was also promoted to being the housing supervisor as well. And so I began to see so many things that I was completely unaware of. I mean, you can go to school and receive education, but the hands-on experience will really tell you where your passion lies. So I began to see Mm -hmm. victims of abuse. A lot of them didn't have a supportive network. A lot of them didn't even realize that they were victims. So I guess I just decided, hey, I want to help them in any way that I can. And that's where the passion came from, because not only were females there, we had males can be victims as well. In, In our particular shelter, we had women and children. So to see small children as small as six months old with women victims with no support, I mean, that's going to pull at your heartstrings. So I did everything that I could to help them get back to where they needed Mm. to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Everybody needs a Jennifer in their corner. (laughs) So I know that we can talk probably all day about some of the people and the situations that you met and have experienced about the root causes and why they're in the situation they're in or why, why they have this issue or whatever. And but is step one in helping a support victim find a safe space or what is the first step? Well, the first step is identifying that you are a victim because some people may say, well, that's just how that person is. Or I didn't think it was that bad. It's not bad enough to be abused. You have to first realize that you are a victim. And at that point, you can begin to mm-hmm. develop an escape plan to get away from your abuser and find a supportive network that can help you go through the things that you're going through. Makes sense. So how are, talking back to the shelter question, how are shelter programs typically structured so that people seeking help know that they're in a safe and secure place? Well, the one that's in Mississippi, they're structured. We have a domestic violence hotline. Each shelter covers, like our shelter actually closed. But when it was open, we had, we covered 10 counties. So it was structured, we had a home office, which was typically in town. And there you would do your assessment and things like that. You would determine whether this was the route that you wanted to take. And at that point, all the staff members signed a disclosure stating that they couldn't, we couldn't even tell our family members where the shelter was because it was that serious. So we would transport them to the shelter and the shelter was in an undisclosed location. It had a fence around it. No one knew. Like our families didn't know where the shelter was. Our significant others Mm. didn't know where the shelter was in order to protect the identity of the people, the victims. I actually had a situation. It was a guy that owned a gas station, knew that I was a domestic violence worker. And he tried to pay me to tell him he was an abuser and his wife was actually at the shelter. He tried to pay me to tell him where the shelter was. And of course, I mean, it's a very serious situation. So I couldn't confirm or deny the situation, but I was just taken back about someone willing to pay you to disclose something so confidential. You know, it put me at risk for him even knowing what I did. And I I would always be so paranoid to make sure that no one was following me because these are people's lives at stake. You can't take it lightly. It's a very serious situation. And it was a situation when I had first started in Tupelo, Mississippi, that my 
executive director always told me about one of the abusers followed one of the workers to the shelter and they actually caused bodily harm to one of the workers and actually took the victim. So when she told me that story, I really realized how important my job was and how confidential I had to be. And I had to realize that people's lives are being saved. Not only is their life at stake, mine is too, because if they follow me, an abuser, a batterer, whatever you want to call them, you don't know their state of mind. They can be mentally unstable. You have to work like you're a police officer or the FBI. You have to know like, hey, I need to make sure nobody is following me here. I can't speak a word of this. So whatever happened at work, that was at work. I wasn't to discuss it with my partner, my mom, any family member, because it was just that serious. Right. Right. That, I mean, you just made me feel better about it. Hopefully you helped somebody else. But so there is someone that, you know, even after maybe hearing the story is reluctant to engage in a program like that because of security or whatever, how do you help reassure them that it's okay? I mean, you're, what you just provided was pretty powerful, but is has there been a situation where you sort of had to convince someone that, listen, this is safe, it's kept secret, it's private? You know, how have you worked through that situation? Well, as strong as it may sound, you have to have a passion for working with victims. It's not something that you're going to do because of the money. It's not anything that you're going to do for the title. You have to have a passion for working. And so if someone has to talk you in it, first of all, that's not your line of work. <laughs> it's like any emergency responder or anyone that has a high-risk job. You, ha- you have to have a passion for doing it. So if you have to mm-hmm. be talked into it, that's not, it's not for you. So I would just tell anybody, follow your passion. You know, everything's not for everyone. So you just have to mm-hmm. have a passion. Sure. Absolutely. What about the victims? What about convincing them to go to a shelter? Like, how would you do that if they were reluctant to go? Well, I operated the domestic violence hotline, too. And we have a lot of people that say, well, I don't want to come in there with all those people. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this. What if he finds me? They have so many questions. But my job is to provide them to let them know that they are not alone, it's first and foremost. The second thing mm-hmm. is just to let them know that we're here to help them. We had a strong presence with the law enforcement. They were aware of where the shelter was, so we had a working relationship with them. We just let them know that we're here to help you in any way. I mean, we had child care available, counseling for the children because they experienced the abuse as well. So we just kind of reassured them that when you're ready to take the steps to leave, we're here to help you in any way that we can. And we kind of help them develop a safety plan or an escape plan is what some people like to call it. Mm-hmm. Just work from it from that angle. And even if they want us to talk to them, they may have a mom that may be scared or a family member that may be scared for them too. Even though we can't disclose the location, we can reassure them this is the correct step to take. I mean, we've I've had people... A lady from Honduras actually was here and she spoke little English at that time. And her husband was American and she was terrified that she was going to get deported because she wasn't legal at that time. We reassured there are laws in place to help immigrants that are victims of domestic violence. 
the young lady and her child was able to come to the shelter. We actually had a legal, we partnered with domestic violence legal side, and we were able to help her become a legal citizen of the United States. And her child was born here anyway, so they were already a citizen. So she benefited from entering the program. And we had a transitional program as well. So the goal was not to just live in the shelter. We helped them transition out of the shelter by partnering with different apartment complexes, helping them get a name change, if necessary, whatever we need to do, we help them in any way. Forwarding mail, getting a name change, becoming legal, whatever you needed. We, we reached out to a provider and got that resource for that victim. That's a great service That's to partake awesome. in if you need the services. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jennifer, for your expertise and sh- kind of sharing your heart behind the great work you're doing. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, Jennifer. This has been another episode of Ask a Navigide, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series brought to you by United Church Homes. If you like this show, please like, share, and subscribe so we can bring you more content like this. You can find us at AbundantAgingPodcast.com where you can leave us some feedback or some ideas for future episodes. But for more information about the UCH Navigide program, please visit UCHNavigide.org. And for more information about United Church Homes, please visit UnitedChurchHomes.org. We'll see you next time.